Another episode of Go Out and Talk to Strangers. Uh, this is Adi, the Nomad Architect, and this is the place where I'm sharing with you ideas and inspiration, hosting founders, entrepreneurs, and extremely talented people to share their experience with us. Today we have with us Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, Adi. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Christine is a serial entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of Kinder Quarters. It's an entrepreneur co-living house project in Los Angeles. It's super interesting. And I'm very excited to have you with me today. So Christine, can you tell us a bit about it? Yes, I would love to. So um, Kinder Quarters started in uh, October 2017. Time flies. <laughs> um, and so it just was a way, you know, I had actually already was co-living with fellow entrepreneurs in San Diego. Um, I had moved in with them back in like 2015, lived with them for a couple years, loved the concept, loved like living alongside of like-minded people that were all about, you know, just concentrating on growing their companies and, you know, making living more efficient. So we had like a chef cooking all our food and we had everything kind of outsourced for us. And then we met every Monday night and did masterminds for two hours where we would collectively work on each other's businesses every single Monday night. And again, we did this, you know, it was five of us in the house. We did this for like two years. So you really, really get to know, you know, each other on not just a deeper level, but you even get to know their businesses on a deeper level. Because sometimes when you're in your own company, you don't see the forest through the trees, as they would say, you know, you're so, so close to everything. And so they would give this great outside advice and opinions on, you know, the best ways to kind of tackle different challenges, um, celebrate successes when we'd have successes together. So, yeah, it was this amazing community for sure. And so that's why, you know, once I sold my last company, which is a wellness spa in San Diego, that's when we launched um, Kindred Quarters. We launched a house right up the hill from them. So we still hung out with those original guys. We're all friends. And um, and then we then, six months later, launched a Los Angeles home. Mm, beautiful. So it all just started because you had that wish to live this lifestyle, right? Yes. Yes. I always, always talked to a mentor of mine um, years ago. And before I moved into that first house with those guys. And I just said, gosh, I wish I could, you know, because I just had normal roommates at the time that all had nine to five jobs and they weren't, you know, they didn't like what they, you know, they would just come home complaining. And then on, you know, Monday mornings they would dread and an entrepreneur, you know, we're so passionate about what, what we do that we love Monday mornings. It's kind of weird. It's kind of backwards, but um, yeah, my mentor, I said, Hey, I just wish I could live in this big, beautiful home with only entrepreneurs. I would be like the happiest girl in the world. And my mentor had said, wait a minute, Christine. He goes, my friend just moved out of a house of the concept you're talking about. And that was, and that was the uh, original Epic Entrepreneur House in San Diego. Um, he told me about it on like a Thursday. I had moved in the following Tuesday. It was like super fast. Um, yeah. And then that was the house I was in for about two years. Okay, so maybe you can share, because you experienced both. What is the difference between sharing a flat or living in an entrepreneur house? I know I love this question, because everybody says, tries to build a parallel with co-living. Um, they say, well, co-living, like, isn't that just living with roommates? Like, what is really the difference? Um, I would say it's living with intention. Like, it's people collectively living together with an, an intention set. Maybe that's entrepreneurship. 
maybe that's musicians and artists. Maybe that's people that are into yoga or health and wellness and fitness. Um, maybe it's a sober, you know, a home of people that, you know, are sober and they want to live together. It could be any theme. Like my thing is just, if there's one thread of commonality between the housemates, flatmates, roommates, whatever term you want to use, then that's when the magic really happens. If you throw a bunch of strangers together, and again, I've lived with roommates for probably 15 years now, probably total. And I've lived with just different types of roommates, you know, sometimes just random strangers. Sometimes it was all military or sometimes it was all nurses. And like, I noticed just the kind of looking from outside in, you know, if I was living with all nurses, they, they had this commonality because they had the same career and they got along better and there was less fighting. And same with the military, like the military are very clean and very disciplined and they got along well. But then if you just throw a bunch of strangers together, it is, it's a little harder to pull off um, a, you know, just a living environment. Um, but you don't, on the flip side, you don't want to create like a silo either because there's that conversation to be had where if you live with all of identical people, then there's nothing to be learned. <laughs> you know, what are you going to learn if you guys are all identical? You're not going to grow. So that's why we say there's like one, if there's one little thread through the people, then that's just enough. You know, it could be different ages. It could be different races. It could be like, I've seen it done in such magical ways and been a part of communities. You know, our house for a long time in LA was night. Our age range was 19 to 43. Like guys and girls, that big of a spectrum of ages, but you learn just as much from the young 19 year old as you would from like the 43 year old. So just different parts of life. So that's, that's the cool part. Mm -hmm. How many people live in the house? Uh, the Los Angeles house is five, around five or six people at any given time, but it's a huge house. So everybody has their own bedroom. Mm -hmm. Nice. And did you have to change anything from the original idea to the actual project? Um, great question. So we did a little bit, you know, we, in the very, very beginning of Kinder Quarters and even, sorry, let me back up. Even the Epic Entrepreneur House had a revenue threshold of, they said, you need to be making a hundred thousand dollars a year in gross revenue for your business to be even like apply to be in that house. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, so then everybody has like similar lifestyle of way of living, you know, if everybody's going on vacations and buying fun stuff, you know, but you've got somebody in there with a startup not making revenue, it, it, that might cause some issues. I don't know. But then, so with Kinder Quarters, I was like, oh, well, we raised that income, that revenue cap, like way higher. And, but then it was a total different vibe, right? Of people making seven figures a year. Um, they had specific things they expected that they wanted. They were on just this different path. And so we actually then took that completely away so that, you know, with the, you know, maybe in the last eight months, a year, we didn't have that revenue, like, oh, you have to be making this much money. Because again, like looking back in time, There was one, you know, there's a house where somebody was making 40,000 a year and then there's somebody making 200,000 a year in the, in the same house. I learned more from the guy that was making 40,000 a year. Like I truly did. I learned how to communicate with people. I learned how to build relationships deeper, better, um, just some amazing strategies that again, somebody at a higher level was kind of like, you know, oh, I, I don't know. It was super interesting. So we did away with that a long time ago. 
Okay, so I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to picture myself a day in your project. Uh, you are so productive. I want to know how it goes. Like, do you have a morning routine? Like, I can't imagine what's going on in this house. Oh my gosh, people listen, People that have stayed at Kinder Quarters are just going to laugh because, yeah, it's insane. It, and it gets intense. I tell people it could be very intense for some entrepreneurs that live more so there's you know, to get up in, and I hate, I know the entrepreneur word is so played out and I'm always like hesitant to even use it anymore, even though it's what I've truly been for 15 years. But, um, okay. So there's entrepreneurs that, that are lifestyle entrepreneurs, nothing wrong with that. Okay. Maybe they want to work five hours a day and they work really, really hard those five hours. You know, it's not necessarily how many hours you work, but it's the quality of work. But then there's some of us that are like, okay, it's quality and it's quantity and we're going to work 12 hours a day and we're not going to be interrupted. And, don't even, I mean, you would walk into my house. Um, and again, now it's a little more laid back. So sometimes the residents, the housemates cycle through, but there's been, there was long periods of time where, I mean, you couldn't talk to any of us Monday through Friday at all. And I would have, actually have to pre-warn guests like, okay, guys, like you have to remember, you're going to see people at kinder quarters and they're working. Like they're not just hanging out and you can't really dis- disturb them unless it's like after 6 PM, you can't even like have a conversation with them or they're going to get upset. And so we all, like, as long as I preface that up front to our guests or to future, or even we had some people move in that moved right out because they were like, oh my God, like you guys hustle and you're intense. And I go, I I guess I just didn't communicate it right up front. So after that, you know, then I really drilled it in. I go, I'm not joking. Like I'm telling you right now, you know, these are 12 hour days. These are Monday through Friday or even Saturday. A lot of times people are working. So a typical day is like everybody's, everybody's working out in Los Angeles by 5 a.m. Half the house is leaving at 5 a.m. to go work out at the gym. Then they're back. Then they're, everybody's in the kitchen trying to make like their bulletproof coffee at the same time. By then this is like 6.30, 7 a.m. And nobody can sleep in because everybody's being loud and they're using the blender to make their coffees and their smoothies. So again, I tell everybody like, and even the people who like to sleep in, they, they, they have to readjust very quickly. Um, because the blender's running at like 630 in the morning. So yeah, a typical day. And, but there's high fives in the kitchen that, or, or, you know, that early in the morning and there's, it's just super inspiring and it's motivating because everybody's building some really cool things. Um, and yeah, so we're laughing, we're having fun and then, yeah, everybody's working their ass off all day. But then by 7 PM, we're back in the dining room, we're back in the kitchen and we're laughing and we're sharing, you know, jokes and, you know, maybe somebody's talking about the date they had the night before. I don't know. It's not really mm, So you have time to date. That's <laughs> Some great. of them do. Not really. Um, yeah, very seldomly. <laughs> but, but some of them would try to sneak in a date on like a Saturday night, like once a month. And then we'd get to hit. We would then, the rest of us would just live vicariously. <laughs> so that, that's kind of crazy. It's very intense. I know it's not the typical co-living environment. And I've, I've, I'm friends with a lot of people that run different co-living concepts around the world and each one has its own essence and each one has its own vibe. And like, so it's really cool, you know, and I think that's as long as people know what they sign up for when they're moving into these homes. And that's why like ours is usually word of mouth because it's usually somebody that knows somebody in our house or it's somebody that's visited. So they already kind of know what they're getting into. And then I have my friends. Oh, let me say this. Sorry, I'm talking too much. But my last point is, um, so then I have my friends that come into Kinder Quarters Los Angeles, perfect for three months, a three-month stay, typically 90 days. 
um, because they want to get work done. And they, they tell me that. They go, Christine, like, I'm really, you know, I was in Bali for six months or I was, you know, like, like, I just really need to buckle down and get some projects done. That's why we're coming to LA, you know, January, February, March. So like those three months we were overbooked because everybody had this like New Year's resolution to get work done. And they know they get that kinder quarters is like the perfect environment. <laughs> and it worked. It did. Those guys, they knew, and they. I'm so proud of them because they would buckle down, and yeah, we everybody, yeah, we get tons of work done there, and again, we still make time for fun. Mm, beautiful. So, how did you choose the first location, or was it just naturally near the first house? Oh my gosh, it took. I'll never forget because it was so. It was this time last year is when we got the house, when we got finally got committed to the house, and then everybody moved in May first, 2018 of the LA house. So let's use the LA house, for example, 40, 40 phone calls I had to personally make to 40 different homeowners um, and get, say, you're crazy, no way, they'd hang up. Reason being, again, you have to remember, I was, I would tell them, I was very transparent, like this is co-living, this is a new way of living, I'm going to fully rent the house, but then I'm going to then sublease. So I'm going to rent from you, but then I'm going to sublease to um, different individuals that qualify, obviously. But I'm going to secure the lease. I'm going to put my name on it personally and my company's name, Kendra Quarters. But you need to be okay with me having people coming in and out um, monthly, you know, usually monthly. And then also one room will be on Airbnb for other entrepreneurs that want to stay nightly or weekly. So trying to sell that in a super hot real estate market, in a market where anybody can rent their house to like a family or like, you know, they'd much rather have you know, maybe a professional couple that works 12 hours a day that's not even using the house versus five adults that are going to be using the house fully and ha working from the house. So there's more wear and tear on the home. So that was a hard sell. It was the first, like 41st call um, was this owner and he was really cool and he's also an entrepreneur. So he got it. And he's like, Christine, I love your concept. I love the idea. Let's do it. So it was not easy. I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy. Um, now, co-living is getting more popular, so I think it'll be easier for other people. But back then, like, nobody knew what co-living really was still. Yeah. Yeah, it's still evolving. And let's say if you had to do a project from scratch, what would you do differently? Because I can imagine if you're, uh, if you're on a lease, you're not going to renovate the place, right? I don't think you do that in the States. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you're right. Because your background's architect. Your background's architect and design, right? Okay. So, no, I can mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, we, so I do have friends building from the ground up right now. And, and that would be ideal. So, like, I could just off the top of my head rattle off a few things that I would do um, in a house, in a co-living home. I would make smaller rooms. I would try to fit as many bedrooms as possible, but I would make smaller bedrooms. And I'd fit way more rooms. And then I'd make big, beautiful common areas. So, big, beautiful kitchen and a dining room because that's where most of us stay and co-working. That's where you spend most of your time. You really only go in your bedroom to sleep. And if it's too big, then people will isolate and they won't be in the common areas. If it's too big and beautiful bedrooms, so I would make smaller bedrooms because our house has big bedrooms. Um, I would also put multiple like power outlets in like the common spaces because we're always fighting over, you know, like, ah, we have all these extension cords running everywhere. It's probably a big fire hazard. I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> the landlord's not listening to this. <laughs> and I'm like, man, there should be more like power out, you know, the outlets for like the laptops and stuff in the common areas. 
again, because you have five adults there. Um, you would have, I would have really beautiful, like open cabinetry in the kitchens, like for the pot, so that everything's more on display, like pots, pans, plates, cups, um, or even like clear cupboards, because then a brand new resident or guest can easily see, oh, there's the pot, like instead of opening and closing like a million cabinets, because um, our kitchen's pretty big. Uh, I would do that. I would also do two dishwashers, um, two microwaves, two dishwashers, two blenders. We have two blenders. Um, two dishwashers being, because again, you've got five to six adults there all day. You're running that dishwasher like every day, once a day. But then by the time, and then when it's running, you need another one to fill. Otherwise, the sink is going to get full of dirty dishes like really quick. So these are just like off the top of my head. <laughs> And about the the shared space, let's say the living room, do you have a yard or a balcony? Yeah, we have a beautiful front yard, beautiful backyard. We have a barbecue grill, we have a picnic table. So sometimes people co-work back in the backyard from the picnic table because it's gorgeous in Los Angeles, of course, the weather. Um, and then our co-working space is in a finished garage. So we can open the garage doors and let the sunshine in. So it's like a dual indoor-outdoor space, which is really cool. Mm, I love it. Okay, so let's say someone is looking to start a project. What would you advise him or her based on your experience? What's the most important thing? Oh, wow. Of the actual physical place or of the concept or anything? Um, anything you can think of. That you find relevant? I think it's to establish the ethos of what you want your home to be. So like you're going to want to start that before anything, before you even find the home, because that's going to play into the type of home you're going to look for. Again, is this going to be for all hard, you know, hardworking entrepreneurs that work insane, stressful, crazy hours like that? You know, is that what you want? Who do you want to surround yourself with? Or do you want to be around more creatives? You know, or designers or musicians or artists, or do you want like a really amazing mixture of all of the above um, and, and run a home? There's a few homes right now running on the Burning Man principles that their whole concept is based on those same principles, which are actually really cool. So that has nothing to do with career. That has more to do with lifestyle. So first decide like who, like envision who you want to be living in that home, how that home's going to be used. Are you going to open it up to the public? Are you going to host community events, meditation on the weekends? Like there's so many ways to go with this concept. It's really cool. And once you know that, it will make finding that perfect place that much easier. It'll make filling it that much easier. And just it just goes mm -hmm. on from there. Great. Great advice. Thank you for that. Okay, so we are about to come to an end. And just before that, I want to ask you this question that I'm asking all my guests. And I want to ask you to on answer really honestly and don't let any of your inner filters get in the way. Although I think in your case, you don't have ones. <laughs> okay. It's like, I've been answering honestly. Yes. So you're going to a bar and you have a couple of drinks and your mind is really free. And all of a sudden you had, you have the most crazy idea but you don't have your sketchbook or ipad or whatever you like to use with you so you take a napkin and you write it down uh, what would it say so there is no time limit there is no money limit you can do anything you think of what would it be no <laughs> that doesn't 
so funny. My bucket list. And like, <laughs> as, as I write things down on a bucket list, I usually just do them. So I'm like, this is going to be the hardest question for me to answer because even the craziest, craziest notions, I usually just go and do them and try them because like, there's no, no problem with, I think the problem comes in like not trying these crazy ideas or these fantasies or like, so what would I write down on a napkin that like be, would become true in the, or that I'd want to make happen in this world? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so many <laughs> I have no idea because like my crazy idea was like creating a co-living concept for entrepreneurs to just live together anywhere in the world and um you know it's been fun to to do that and be part of that journey th- thus far um and then kindred my software platform like how do we take all the co-living concepts from around the world and get them all unified on one platform so you can pick it and choose a home anywhere in the world based on tags of fitness or business or music or whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but yeah, my crazy, let me write it down on a napkin because I'm drunk at a bar ideas. I usually just do them because I'm that crazy. Okay. So maybe in your case, the right question is how do you follow your ideas? How do you act on them? Because I think many people have very good ideas, but Only few are following them. So what makes... How do I do that? I know because every bit... Um... Maybe you can share a tip as, as someone who already uh, executed so many of your ideas. What, what do you do when you have this amazing idea? I mean, yeah, I just... I think of these crazy ideas. I've said them before on different interviews and podcasts. People can list... There's a podcast out from like eight years ago where I think my answers are exactly the same. Like I just... There's these crazy ideas and then nobody else is doing them. So sometimes I wait and I try to see if somebody else is going to do it or I try to convince somebody else to do it and then nobody does it. And they're like, oh man, I'm going to have to do it. And then it's just like reverse engineering it. So I see this big, crazy vision that's like insane. And then I'm like, okay, well, what would, what would baby step need to be? What can I do today to get even that tiny bit closer to that big, crazy vision? Let me do that step. Okay, great. That's done. What's next? What's next? What's next? So all these little steps. A great book is called The um, Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. It's an amazing book, you guys. If you read that, it's incredible, um, especially for those that struggle kind of like figuring out what to do, or maybe they start to do something and then they're like, oh, but this isn't working. Let me do this. And they start and then, oh, let me do this. They're jumping, jumping, jumping. That's what I see in this day and age happening more. And it breaks my heart to watch it, that people don't stick long enough to even see their vision fulfilled. Like just stick that, uh, stick to, to that path. Um, if I gave you a penny every single day and that penny doubled in 30 days, would you take that or would you just take a million dollars up front? Most people say, oh, I would just take the million. But what they don't understand is if you took a penny and you doubled it every single day, it doesn't, it takes 28 days for it to hit, hit a million. And by then you'd probably give up. You'd be like, this is no way. I'm not going to do this. And then I think it ends up, oh, don't quote me. I think it's 2.4 million on day 30 or something. So it's like double, like 2.5 more than the original million that you would have just taken. So it's the compound effect. These little tiny things you do every single day add up to that big, beautiful vision that you had from day one. So just taking those baby steps. I hope, hope that helps. Mm-hmm. I, I love your answer. I think it's really inspiring. I'm going to share the links to the uh, project website and to your profile so everybody can connect with you. 
I want to thank you for being my guest today and for sharing um, your experience with us. No, you're so welcome. Again, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it and love what you're doing with this podcast. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. It's Adi again. I'm very happy to have you with me, and I would like to ask for your help for the next season of the show. The next project I'm going to host will focus on unique experiences. If you've ever been to a place that made a strong impression on you, or if you started one yourself, a retreat center, a sustainable project, art gallery, hotel, somewhere in nature, anything that creates a special experience for the guest. It could be anywhere around the world. So send me the details and maybe you'll be on my show. And until the next time, go out and talk to strangers. It's been a pleasure. Ciao, ciao.